Lindelof is the cinematic equivalent of blue balls. He gets you to a certain point and then says, just finish it off yourself. Radio Drome. I waste Thursday night here, obviously. So why shouldn't you waste Thursday night here? Right, Marquis? Yeah, yeah. It's Thursday and it's wasted. Cecil, you wanna you wanna smack him with your dick or something? <laughs> um no. Then just give an Adam and Eve promo. Yes. Go to adamandeve.com and use the promo code DROME to get fifty percent off a single item. Free shipping in the U.S., three free DVDs, and a free mystery gift. Uh, that mystery gift will not be my dick smacking into Alex. We don't know that. Well, I'm I'm openly stating that. <laughs> All right, fine, fair enough. Now, before we get to tonight's topic, though, I want to talk about something that happened the day we're recording this. Shia LaBeouf quitting. I don't know if this Yay. means he's going to be quitting movies or whatnot, but he is quitting public life. Quoting. In the light of the recent attacks against my artistic integrity, I am retiring from all public life. Or I should say it like Shia LaBeouf would. No, 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 more! Well, see, he's assuming that he had artistic integrity to attack. Well, I think when you not only plagiarize something so blatantly... Twice, twice, he caught him plagiarizing him again. And in that article, it had, like, the letter that, what's his name, Daniel Cloves or whatever? Cloves, yeah. Close yeah. wrote that, like, look at this other stuff he posted on Twitter of these storyboards that he was working on that are completely like my comics. Yeah, he 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 followed Close comic all the way. He 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 followed it completely. And then the fact that oh, he's attacking my artistic integrity. No, you don't have artistic integrity if everything you've done that's quote original is taken from somebody else. And then there's the whole. Hey, how about having a spine, Shia? You know, if you're going to steal and you get caught, own up to it. Oh, wait, you did that by stealing your apology for getting caught. It's almost like he doesn't get it, doesn't it? Yeah, it's a freaking riot. It's like he he had a chance of coming out and clearing the air and being like, you know what, I, I did really like the idea. And, and just kind of, you know, even coming up with some bull uh, answer of, well, you know, I did it, but I'm sorry, but I, I really liked it. and uh, oh, you know, he, 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 did, he did come up with a bull answer. But I'm saying, but he copy-pasted somebody else's, like, apology. From Yahoo. From fucking <laughs> Yahoo. It's like, are you Yahoo kidding Yahoo answers, yeah. You can't even come up with, like, your own words to apologize yeah, what what is going on? You know, that's just ludicrous. I found it to be funny, honestly. I I really found it to be hilarious. Oh, it's it is hilarious, but it's hilarious for all the wrong reasons. You should be ashamed of. You know, it's like, dude, you are a fairly well known actor in Hollywood. I'm not entirely sure why, but and you pull this kind of nonsense. It's like, did you did you not think that? You weren't going to get caught? <laughs> I, I think he... 
I, I think he's living in one of those fantasy worlds where he's untouchable. You surround yourself with yes men, you never find out that there is a no. So on that, as you pointed out, you, c- you can't understand why he's a Hollywood star. That actually leads us into our topic. Why the untalented or seemingly untalented are favored in Hollywood over the truly talented who seem to get buried. Now, I'm going to say this up front. I tend to hold Hollywood or movies in general to a higher standard than they're capable of living up to, honestly. That said, yeah, I am kind of a cinema snob where I do expect more, and I'm the moron for doing that. As Alex constantly points out to me, they're in this to make money, not to make art. Well, that's what Hollywood's in there for. I mean, if somebody sets out to make art and fails, well, their failure. I, I, 21 Jump Street was on today. If you want to talk about why the untalented get work, there's Channing Tatum. Oh, he's on my list. Trust me. Yeah. Mine too. Yeah. People like him are pretty. They're not talented, but, but girls like them and girls who buy movie tickets with their parents' money. Obviously, the studios are in this to make money. There's no you know, way around that. But do you think it is fair to say they have no artistic integrity as long as they make money? Or do you think there are some out there that want to be able to make the most money that they can, but also put out a quality product? Or do you think the majority is, I'll sell you anything as long as you buy a ticket to it? I think it's probably, um, I'd say 80-20. I'd say it's 80%. They don't give a crap as long as it pulls a profit. And sometimes you have directors and whatnot who know how to spin it well enough that they're like, okay, you know, they have enough free reign where they'll sell the producers whatever they want to hear, but then end up making something that's actually good. And then there are 20% that genuinely strive to make a good movie. Now, whether or not, or a good product, whether or not it actually works, it doesn't always work, but... Sometimes, I mean, there's a lot of different reasons as to why that works, but that's not really what your question was. So I think it's probably there's more that are just trying to turn a profit versus trying to make art. I would go with that same ratio of 80-20 because there is the occasional one that actually sets out to make a message and a piece of art that, that delivers and is successful. But most of the stuff you see nowadays, they're just throwing money up there to, to get yours. And sometimes it's good, like the Avengers, but still you can't deny that that was just for the money. Well, but then you've also got like the Lone Ranger where they just kept throwing money at it saying, it'll be good, it'll be good, it'll be good, it'll be good, and not realizing this is terrible. You know, as we pointed out, sometimes you can't see it's terrible as you're making it, but the studio had to know that this was going to be terrible, and yet they just kept throwing money at it. So I I guess that leads us into, again, art versus commerce, that what happens when it's all about the commerce? I think then you wind up with people like Channing Tatum becoming stars. I used to say Hayden Christensen was the worst actor I've ever seen get large mainstream movie roles. Then Tatum came along. And even before that, Sam Worthington was giving Hayden Christensen a run for his money. Why do you think these three actors in particular keep getting big budget role, huge movies when they are absolutely planks of wood on screen? 
Hayden Christensen did for a little bit, and then people hated him, so he stopped getting roles. People don't hate Channing Tatum yet. When he gets older, and when there's other beefcakes for girls to swoon over, Channing Tatum will start getting less work, because really that's the only thing he has going for him, is he looks good. What I don't understand is, like, I I hate Channing Tatum. I think he is just awful. And yes, I see that he's in really good shape. But you know what? So are the majority of guys that are trying to make a living in Hollywood, because, I mean, that's part of the game. You know, you want to be in the best of shape if you're going to be a leading man. I mean, we're well past the the time when you're going to have a leading man who's got uh, a gut, unless the movie calls for him to be, you know, Paul Blart, mall cop. I don't know. Then explain to me Dennis Franz. But. But when was the last time that Dennis Franz was a leading guy? I mean, he he retired, so that's why he hasn't been. But what I mean is that it's we're we're past that point. I mean, he retired in what the early nineties, late nineties, late nineties. But still, I mean, now it's to the point of where all the leading guys are all these you know chiseled you know, perfect specimen guys. But the thing with the thing that I understand is, I mean, he is interchangeable and he's awful. Like he has no on-screen presence. He looks like he has some sort of syndrome. Channing Tatum is the most charisma free action star I've ever seen. Oh God, he's awful. And he hasn't gotten better. He was one of those guys where I'm like, okay, maybe he'll get better, but he's actually gotten worse. Yet there are actors out there who are really good-looking guys that are really good actors that aren't getting roles like they should. Like uh, Alex O'Loughlin from Moonlight, who is Moonlight. A, that's what you're, you're not going to go with the Shield or Hawaii Five O. You go with Moonlight because Moonlight is fucking awesome. That's why I'm going with Moonlight. Oh, uh, and even and Hawaii Five O is is good. I, hey, I could have gone with Feed. Where, uh, which was the first thing I saw him in. Which he, Are you uh, he sure you're not terrific. with Hawaii 5 going to just go and bing that and then go get some tasty, tasty Subway? <laughs> yes, the chicken carbonara, dog. But he's, he's a great actor. He's a good-looking guy. And he's, like, he's got on-screen, on-screen like, charisma. And yet, when it came time for him to like, do his you know, big-budget theatrical movie, they put him in a movie with freaking J-Lo, who is just box office poison. And of course, the movie tanked, and and he didn't, you know, get the recognition that he should. And I mean, thankfully, he's got a good gig with Y Five O. But like, I just, I, I don't understand Channing Tatum. I, they delayed GI Joe two for almost a year to incorporate more of him in the movie, and he brought nothing to the film. And he was and, the biggest critical complaint about the film of the first one. Right, everybody said this guy sucks, which is why they killed him in the second one. They brought, uh, between the time that happened, was it Magic Mike, he, 21 he became, Jump Street? He became a superstar between yeah, those two movies. Yeah, he had three movies that came out at that time that were all box office successes. So consequently, they were like, oh, these movies are big hits. It must be because of Channing Tatum. It's like, no. <laughs> like, nobody was like, well, I really want to see that Channing Tatum movie. You know, it just didn't happen. And yet somehow... He just kind of stumble bummed his way into being a major actor, and he's god awful. I think another big reason is because he's he's very malleable. He'll do whatever you say. That he doesn't have any ambition to go direct movies or, or take a movie from a director. He's not going to pull a Kevin Costner or have an ego fit. 
he will do whatever the studio says. He's their toy. He's their their pawn. So that he is... looks good and he follows orders. Which is kind of my feeling on Sam Worthington as well. Because for, for a while there, remember like 08, 09, 10 or so, Sam Worthington was just in smash hit after smash hit. And I'm sitting here going, this guy has no charisma. He plays the exact same character under a different name in every film. Why is Sam Worthington constantly getting hired for these just bland cardboard roles, which is about all he can make? It was one of those like just weird things with Sam Worthington. He was an actor that all of a sudden he's there. Like it was like he was he was nobody. And all of a sudden he's in a string of huge budget movies. And it, it just left me scratching my head because same thing. I'm watching him. And I didn't hate him. I mean, I, you know, I don't hate him like I hated Channing Tatum. But it's just like, oh, well, this guy is is the new thing now. <laughs> and he, he wasn't like I mean, I've seen worse. But the biggest thing is he just has no charisma. He's just kind of there. He just kind of mouths the dialogue and goes on, you know, and uh, it, 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 he didn't really do much. So. Jillian Anderson's lips on the X-Files emoted more than Sam Worthington does. Yeah, he I, I, I just kind of like was I was kind of indifferent on him. I was like, all right, well, you know, and then he he kind of went away. I mean, he did his really big budget movies. And then uh, the last thing I could think of, uh, that he did was uh, what was it? Man, man on a. Man on a Ledge. Was that after Clash of the 3D? Yeah. That was, well, that it was, was after... It was in between the two Clash of the 3Ds. Oh, oh right. Okay. That's right. Cla- the, the Wrath of the Titans, okay, was after that, I believe. But um, but Man on a Wire was another movie where actually Man on a Wire, or Man on a Wire, uh, Man on a Ledge, I thought was a really good movie. It would have benefited greatly by having a lead who maybe could act a little bit better. Because... It was like it wasn't terrible, but when he was on screen, it was like, oh, well, he's just kind of playing Sam Worthington. He's just kind of there. Yeah, he's just kind of there. Whereas if you had, uh, I don't know, maybe a Paul Bettany or uh, somebody who had a little bit more acting ability and screen presence, the movie might have done better. Well, because in a case like that, it makes you wonder how one of the most talented actors out there is most known for his goddamn TV commercials. Look at someone like Dean Winters. Dean Winters has got hundreds of TV episodes and movies under his belt. He's one of the most versatile actors in Hollywood, and he's still always on the C list. And you just wonder, okay, more people know him as Mayhem in the insurance commercials than they do for nearly 100 episodes of Law & Order and Oz... And all these movies. That's kind of sad, isn't it? Yes, very, very sad. Very. Um, he's done some good movies. He, he, I mean, yes, he's done his paycheck movies too. <clears throat> Undercover Angel, the Lifetime movie with Carmen Electra, where he finds out he has an eight-year-old daughter he wasn't aware of, and it's as bad as it sounds. But Dean Winters elevates it. Well, so does James Earl Jones as a Canadian judge. Don't ask. Carmen Electra elevates it. Shut up. She elevates something else for you. That's not the movie. That's what I was talking uh, about. It's not Carmen Electra that elevates it. It's her underwire. <laughs> but, but, I mean, you've got someone like Dean Winters that, you know, look at like 30 Rock. 30 Rock is, with the exception of Tracy Morgan, is full of talented actors. 
Tracy Morgan's another one of those ones that I just do not understand how he keeps getting work, but we'll get to the, him in a minute. But whenever Dean Winters would guest star as Tina Fey's just insane boyfriend, he would steal that entire series from the regulars, yet he cannot get a big-budget role. Yet he, he no one will hire him because they'll hire Sam Worthington instead. Does it just come down to who has the better agent? You know, something like that, I think you're right, because there's Kevin Hart, and I like Kevin Hart's stand-up. He's a very talented comedian. But then I watched that trailer for Ride Along, where he is filling a role that was written for Chris Tucker, it looks oh, like. Oh, I actually thought it was Chris Tucker at first. Yeah, it's he Kevin Hart. He even has the, ow, 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 And I'm like, yeah. this is Chris Tucker that's not Chris Tucker. And it's Kevin Hart who's talented playing a role that is, you know, far beneath him. He's playing a Chris Tucker role, but I guess they just didn't want Chris Tucker. Well, you know if why? Chris, if Chris Tucker's too good for your movie, there's problems. Well, no. What happened was Chris Tucker became, sadly, too expensive. He came back for Rush Hour 3 because they were willing to pay him $30 million. And so that consequently set his pay scale up. So when this movie came around, they probably wrote it a few years ago with the intention of getting Chris Tucker, and then they couldn't get $30 million to pay him to do this. So they got Kevin Hart, who I also think is really talented and really funny, and the fact that he's doing this role and uh, in that movie, um, the boxing movie, Grudge Match, he's doing the same thing again. So it's And there are a lot of people who don't know his stand-up who are like, Oh, God, who is this guy? He sucks. And I'm like, no, no, he's actually really good. It's just that for whatever reason, they're making him suck. Well, it's the same thing with Tracy Morgan. Tracy Morgan is one of the most untalented, quote unquote, comedians I've seen since Larry the Cable Guy. Yet, read TV Guide. Oh, my God, he is the funniest thing on Tampa Pimpin'! And I'm just like, okay, am I that out of touch with comedy? People read TV Guide? It does still exist. The the thing about Tracy Morgan uh, that I, I don't understand, and one of the things that, that people always say it's funny, is he'll say random nonsense, and somehow that is construed as funny. Like, he'll he'll just, like, people will be talking about something, and he'll just be like, Yo, I got macaroni in my underpants! And people are like, oh my god, did you hear he says he has macaroni in his underpants? That's so crazy, and it's funny. And I'm like, no, that, that's that's just random nonsense that's not funny. Like, how how is he even remotely good? I, I mean, Cop Out had a lot of issues. Cop Out had nothing going for it. Even Kevin Smith admits that. Even Ke- I mean, Kevin Smith had, like, it, it's such a shame because, I mean, he did that movie for his father. And to have that disaster come of it, I mean, he was he was screwed at both ends. He had Bruce Willis, who didn't want to do, you know, he didn't want to follow his direction. And he had Tracy Morgan, who admittedly ad-libbed 90% of his dialogue. So it's like, it, it was just screwed from the get-go. And on top of that, it was the first time he was directing a script that he hadn't written. So, also a script that wasn't remotely funny to begin with. No, it was awful. I thought that the concept was there, but it just was terrible. So, but, uh, but Tracy Morgan, he's just, he's just awful. He's one of the reasons why I just would, I refuse to watch 30 Rock. I mean, I'm not big on, you know, sitcom kind of shows anyway. 
he's just terrible. Like people will like they would send me, you know, yo, I'm Brian Fellows. Why, why should I find that funny? It's not funny. Well, speaking of not funny, you have the kings of not funny. We've talked about him many times, so I don't want to spend a ton of time, but Seltzerberg. They keep oh, getting God. bigger and bigger budgets, bigger and bigger actors. Their movies keep making money, so clearly they speak to a certain portion of the ticket-buying audience. But they are the worst thing to happen to comedy ever, I think, in movies. Agreed, but... They're they're falling out of favor. Their last two movies had more modest budgets and didn't get theatrical releases really. Um, what what about what about their ghetto equivalent, Tyler Tyler Perry? Oh God, Tyler Perry, Medea. Not well, not just Medea, just Tyler Perry is a horrendous actor. I mean, well, he, just look at like Alex Cross and when he's trying to be serious, he's a terrible terrible actor. Alex Cross was easily one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It was so bad, and he was absolutely abysmal in it. He's one, though, where, yes, he's an awful actor. Yes, I don't like him. However, I understand why he keeps getting work, because the Medea movies, they don't cost a lot of money, and they make bank. So until the Medea movies stop being successful... He's going to continue to get work. So he, while I don't like him and I think he stinks, I at least understand why, you know, he, he keeps getting work. So, so, so then I have to say, isn't it the fault of the audience themselves that these people are talented to the morons out there that are flocking to their movies? The same people who would turn their nose up at John Dies at the end, this just weird would good go, ha, ah, Larry the Cable Guy, he got his arm stuck in a cow's butt! <laughs> Isn't that kind of Adam Sandler's entire career? Not his entire career. Well, I think Adam Sandler is just doesn't like leaving his comfort zone very often. That's why you see Adam Sandler playing the same type of character with the same sense of humor. But those rare times that you do see Adam Sandler actually playing a character in somebody else's production, he's quite good, like Punch Drunk Love. But Adam Sandler's just too complacent where he is. He's making money, and so he's like, I don't need to do other stuff. Well, speaking of Adam Sandler, let's move behind the scenes. Look at Dennis Duggan, the guy who directs most of Adam Sandler's movies. Dennis Duggan was a great actor in the 80s. He was on Hills. He, he won numerous. He won, like, I think two Emmys for Hill Street Blues, was in the original Joe Dante Howling. He was in a bunch of movies, and then he moved behind the camera and just started making toilet comedies. So clearly he is being rewarded for sucking at his job. Is that what we should be showing directors? That your movie made money. It was garbage. It was poorly made. None of the critics liked it. Everyone who saw it hated it. But it made bank, as Cecil put it. So even though you failed, we're going to hire you again. What kind of a message does that send? Yeah, it's 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 weird because it absolutely sends the wrong message, but from the studio's perspective, they're doing the right thing. You know, here's this guy who he's figured out whatever magic formula to make ridiculous amounts of money. So it's like, all right, well, we take Adam Sandler, throw in toilet humor, uh, have a bunch of other comedians come in, phone it in, and we get grownups, and grownups makes a crap ton of money 
And they, you know, they just keep bringing him back because from their perspective, this guy is doing his job right. And it's, it's depressing because there are really good comedies that come out that either sit on a shelf or, you know, they get released direct to video or just completely glossed over for whatever reason. And yet these Adam Sandler quote unquote comedies. And again, I like Adam Sandler when he isn't phoning it in. When he tries. When he tries. But can, I mean, I can't entirely blame him because it's like he got a freaking, uh, a Lamborghini or Ferrari or something for, for doing a signing bonus for grownups too. It's kind of hard to, to say no. It's like, all right, well, am I going to go on vacation with a bunch of my friends, get a ridiculous paycheck, have a good time, and hey, here's a $150,000 car as a present? Or am I going to really work and try and act and struggle and make a movie like Punch Drunk Love that isn't going to make any money and most people are just not going to go see it in a the theater? So I, I think I think the difference there, Cecil, is... The difference between an artist and a workman. Yeah, I mean, well, he, I guess in his eyes, maybe he paid his dues. You know, I mean, he came up from, uh, you know, MTV and and you know did his corny comedies and you know kind of evolved to the point of where he's he's a money making machine that he is now. He's not infallible though. I mean, he did have those three complete bombs in a row. He's still yeah, he's still making money. And then going with the director perspective. There's no reason why the, the studio shouldn't keep going back to him to do this, because he's probably not getting, you know, James Cameron money and he's churning out these movies that are making hundreds of millions of dollars. Dennis Duggan runs the ovens at the concentration camp more efficiently, so they keep him on staff. Wow, that got dark quick. <laughs> Weird. <laughs> okay. How about some of the and when I I'm gonna put the word unknown in quotes here, but the unknown directors that churn out just crap such as steve carr who's known for such all of these are hits by the way financially such great artistic works as next friday dr doolittle 2 daddy daycare are we done yet paul blart mall cop and movie 43 what about people like that that are rewarded for making your entire career has been suck oh god i hate people like that um, what's his fucking face that directed Good Burger? I don't know. And then, and then he did Norbit. Oh, well, yeah, there's that. Yeah, I mean, I don't understand how they get work. Well, okay, how about some of the worst writers in Hollywood? I despise this woman. You already know who I'm talking about. I think Diablo Cody is the worst writer to be working in mainstream Hollywood today and she's also one of the highest paid. What does that say? Well, to quote uh, God Bless America, Diablo Cody is the only stripper that suffers from having too much self-esteem. She is awful. I, I, her, the dialogue in her movies uh, is, is just painful to me. It's, I mean, I wrote a whole big thing after uh, I saw Juno and everybody was talking about how, oh, she's you know nominated for an Oscar and all this. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's, Juno it's, was fucking terrible. Juno is one of the worst movies I've ever seen. No, I, because, I because her, next, her next film, Jennifer's Body, is actually worse. I didn't like Jennifer's Body, but I, I do think that Megan Fox is really attractive. So it was really hard for me to like. I'm sure it was hard for you. It was hard for me. But it was like, 
it had elements in it that I could see that the director was trying to do stuff that was cool, but then the dialogue would come out. And, oh, you're giving me a weddy. Oh, it was so insufferably bad. And uh, it's, yeah, Diablo Cody, she's just awful. And yet somehow she she put out one movie that everybody, fall, all the critics fawned over. And then consequently, because of that, she became, you know, hot shit for a while. Thankfully, she has more or less dropped, I wouldn't say dropped off the map, but hasn't been getting as much work as of late. But I'm sure she'll probably come back around and they'll throw her stupid name out there. Oh, Diablo Cody wrote this. And then it'll be another just pretentious bunch of nonsense. No, Miss Cody sucks. But you know who's who also really sucks? Aaron Kruger. Transformers, Darker Domon, and Revenge of the Fallen. I yeah. do need more. Scream 3, Reindeer Games. I've got two that actually annoy me far more than that. One would be Akiva Goldsman, who... I think has to be a fraud. I don't see how the man that wrote The Client, Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, Lost in Space, Practical Magic, iRobot, The Da Vinci Code, Cinderella Man, and Angels and Demons also won an Oscar for A Beautiful Mind. You know what? Do you I see there a... has to be some kind of a fraud here? Because A Beautiful one of these things is not like the other, isn't it? Um, I went to a bookstore once and there was this book by Akiva Goldsmith on screenwriting that I was thinking about picking up, but then I went and Until watched you Batman he Forever. Wrote Batman and Robin. Well, I went and watched Batman Forever that same day and I'm like, nope, not buying that book. It's it's probably something along the lines of uh, Californication where um, uh, Gracie like punched David Duchovny in the face and she found the copy of the book that he wrote and then said that you know put her name on it and then went and sold it he's probably like oh this is really great you know he he took it and then just took full credit for it and whoever actually wrote it for whatever reason like did dispute it so yeah it's like how how do you put out something like that and then just all this other rubbish i I mean i could see if he had a couple of ones out there that were similar to that but it's like he has one but According to the director, it was heavily rewritten by another writer, and that would be A Time to Kill. Time to Kill is actually a phenomenally good movie. Yeah, Time to Kill was terrific. But was... that but that also doesn't feel like a Goldsman film. It, no. it really does feel different. So... But it also doesn't feel like a Matthew McConaughey film. That was before you know McConaughey was... That's before know... he McConaughey'd out. Right. Before he got the good weed. Akiva Goldsman... Also, as a producer, produced such amazing movies as Deep Blue Sea, Starsky and Hutch, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, Hancock, Jonah Hex, all of the Paranormal Activity sequels. How does someone like this keep getting work? Other than Deep the obvious Blue answer. Deep Blue Sea was an amazing movie. I Deep like Blue Deep Blue Sea. <laughs> Thank you, know you Alex. This is your final episode. <laughs> Um, then, then me and Alex are standing together. Frickin' Deep Blue Sea is a great movie. No, it's not. Yes, it is. The it's rest terrific. of the ones you listed were crap, though. Although Hancock and... But the rest, yeah, the Paranormal Activities sequels, I hate those. But Deep Blue Sea is good. But do you see a, a pattern here with every... Well, not every, because Jonah Hex was a bomb. But most of the movies that he's written or produced have made money, but they've all been absolutely critically savaged. So 
why are you then sought after? Is it literally just dollar signs, almost Warner Brothers cartoon style? They just see doll, uh, you know, a, a bag with a dollar symbol on it? Or does anyone f***ing care whether it's good? Okay, so you know all the Friday the 13th movies? Those were, were all critically... They were, you know, those were the all critically crap. Yeah, all the, everything from 2 to 9, well, all the way through 7 and 8, those were just critically bashed, all of them. Critics hated them. Even well, April Fool's Day. critics hated them. The um, the horror fans liked them. You find me one person out there who actually said that Lost in Space movie was really well put together. But all those Friday the 13th movies, same producer, um, Frank Mancuso Jr. He also did April Fool's Day, which people hated. D- those movies made money. So it's the same reason that Akiva Goldsman can produce all that stuff, because they make money. Well, then you go on to who I think is the... I think he's the embodiment of everything that is wrong with screenwriting today, especially genre screenwriting, and that is Damien Lindelof. Damien Lindelof is one of the hackest hack writers I've ever seen in Hollywood. He got lucky with Lost and then has just been making Lost over and over again. His screenplay for World War Z, basically Lost. Star Trek Into Darkness, Lost style. Prometheus, Style of Lost, Cowboys vs. Aliens, Style of Lost. You're seeing a pattern here. His stuff is always, he, he's one of these weird ones, like, he comes up with a great idea and then has no clue whatsoever where to go with that great idea. Because every one of his movies, every one of his TV series, you go, there are some great ideas here, but my God, were they handled stupidly. Yeah, I think his problem is he doesn't know how to end that great idea. He'll come up with a great idea and he'll he'll, he'll put, throw in all this mystery and really develop it. But then when it comes to the end, he's like, I don't know what to do. Deus Ex Machina, I guess. No, no, no. He's not even he, – he doesn't even do that. He doesn't want to end them. He's got a quote out there, which I don't have in front of me, so I might be not exact quoting it. But that he said – The problem with most mystery movies is they solve the mystery. Then what leaves you wanting more? His idea is constantly bring up questions, but never answer them. So then the audience is always asking themselves, what about this? What about this? What about this? He thinks that stimulates the audience. That to me is just asinine. It works if the script is good enough to where it comes to an end that is satisfying. It answers some questions, but leaves little things here and there. Cause there are, I mean, some of my favorite movies are ones that after it ends, you continue to think about that and you continue to kind of come up with your own conclusion as to certain things. And I really enjoy those, but there comes a point of where you have to write a succinct story that has a beginning, middle and end. And at least give the audience something you know don't just end and just have it be like oh well audience figure it out you know because then it's just like well no idiot you know like you gotta you gotta give us something you have to be talented enough to pull that off and you also shouldn't do that every single time because then it's just like all right well now i'm gonna watch this and i know that i'm not gonna get any answers and i'm just gonna get annoyed you know, you shouldn't do that every single time. That's just being, like, idiotic. To me, whenever I see 
screenplay or written by Damian Lindelof, I immediately go, ah, oh, god damn it, because I know it's going to suck. I know it's going to have some great ideas that have no follow through on them, and I have yet to be disappointed on that account. Lindelof, Lindelof is the cinematic equivalent of blue balls. He gets you to a certain point and then says, just finish it off yourself. I mean, hell, Prometheus, they literally, Ridley Scott is backed into a corner right now. The way Lindelof finished the movie, which technically the way Scott finished the movie since he followed the script, they had no idea where they were going to go next with with them flying off in the, in the spaceship to the engineer's homeworld. Ridley Scott is trying to make Prometheus 2, and he's like, I have no clue what to do with it now. That That's the kind of legacy Lindelof leaves to movies, and I think that's absolutely horrendous. You, you've got a certain thing when it comes to directing. They're good at one aspect of their job, but not the other. Look at someone like Marcus Nispel. The man started as a production designer and a music video director, and his movies always look phenomenal but they're horrendous films. Why is Marcus Nispel one of the most sought-after horror directors today when you take into consideration what I just said? The movies look phenomenal, but are terrible. Then shouldn't that mean he is the cinematographer while an actual director takes the helm? It's kind of like Terrence Malick. He's got real pretty photography, but it's so horribly put together without a story or context for the pretty pictures. That And I don't know why critics like Malik. Be, maybe because the movies are pretty. Oh, do I know who Marcus Nispel is? I can't stand the guy. I think the, the biggest problem is uh, this kind of came up because of Michael Bay. Michael Bay was a music video director that transitioned into movie directing and it became very successful. So consequently, studios started looking for other music video directors to make into directors. And Bay helped that along by creating Platinum Dunes. I was going to say, in Marcus Nispel's cage, literally hiring the man. Yeah, he, he hired him for Friday the 13th. He hired... Uh, the, 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 the Texas Chainsaw the guy, remakes, too. Right, the Texas Chainsaw remakes. He, he hired uh, another guy for the, Friday, for the Nightmare on Elm Street re- remake and, and all that stuff. And so what it is, and, and again, what a lot of these uh, producers don't understand is that just because you're a good music video director does not mean that you can be a good movie director. There is a distinct difference between the two. You need to be able to tell a story. You can be talented and ha- you know set up really nice shots and great you know visuals and have it be very energetic and whatnot. But you have to have those down slower moments that will push the story forward. I so think what you're it- talking about, Cecil. I think what you're talking about an area where, like, Tony Scott succeeded. He came from music videos. Look at The Hunger. It looks like a two-hour-long music video, but there's an actual story, and the story fits together. But it's shot like a music video. That's not a shot at, at Tony Scott. He's one of those ones that was able to do it right. Nispel doesn't. Absolutely. You. It is a skill that you have to have. And if you don't have it, you have... Stuff that Nispel puts out. It's really, really pretty, but it's really pretty empty garbage. It just, it stinks. There, there's nothing there. It, it's hollow. It's empty because it just looks good, but there's no substance to back it up. What about what, what I consider one of the worst 
mainstream Hollywood directors out there. We brought him up before, Brett Ratner. You know, Cecil and I disagree, but I think – I have not seen Tower Heist. It's the only one of his I have not seen yet. I think he is, without a doubt, the worst mainstream director working in Hollywood today, and yet he's one of the most sought after. There are far worse. I've I've no problems, really, with Brett Ratner, Marcus Nispel. He's not so much main. Marcus <laughs> Nispel's not so much mainstream. Marcus Nispel works on ten to twenty-five million dollar films. Brett Ratner works on hundred and hundred and fifty million dollar films. There's a difference in those two worlds. Well, I, I would say recently Zack Snyder. Yeah, but at least Zack Snyder does have Watchmen under his belt and the Legend of the Guardians, Go- the Guardians of Go- the Owl movie. Both of Dawn those of were Dead. good. The Owl movie. And Dawn of the Dead remake, which is one of the few remakes that was pretty decent. And Man of Steel and Sucker Punch. Man of Steel and Sucker Punch are not even actual <laughs> movies. Those are the, that is the equivalent of cinematic rape. Oh, Sucker down. Punch was date rape. Man of Steel was gang rape. So, um, worse, you, worse mainstream directors than Brett Ratner, Roland Emmerich. White House Down with Channing Tatum. Oh, yeah, there you go. Let's mesh these all together, right? Channing Tatum yeah. and f***ing Emmerich. He produced White House Down. He also, he's directing Independence Day oh, sequels. I've heard ID about that. forever. I just cannot stand Brett Ratner. I think he is the worst. I, I uh, don't I know one. why you say he's the worst. I mean, his movies. Because he, he's got $150 million budgets, and he is just so bland lifeless. Now, look at the difference between Manhunter and Red Dragon. Both come from the same source material, arguably tell the same story. Just look at them stylistically. Manhunter was made on about $10 million and is just oozing with mood and style and atmosphere and amazing editing techniques and amazing storytelling. Red Dragon, 20 times the budget. It's bland. It's lit like a goddamn Adam Sandler film. It's lifeless. The camera doesn't move. The cast looks bored. Just well, look Michael... at those. Brett Ratner is... He, it's like he doesn't know what he's doing. Michael Mann is a better director than Brett Ratner, but that doesn't make Brett Ratner the worst director. As long as we have people like Seltzer and Friedberg that keep making films... Ratner is not the worst director. He may be a director that you don't like. And I guess, I mean, it's your opinion to say that he's the worst director. But he's he's put out some movies that I have enjoyed, or he's had his hands in films that I enjoyed. You know, he's produ- he produced Santa's Sleigh, which is freaking awesome. But, okay, and, no, just, just look at the argument I was giving, though, about how his movies are bland and lifeless. I liked X-Men 3. I know I'm in the minority on that one. And I went in... I think you are a minority. (laughs) I went in fully expecting to hate it because everything I heard about it leading up to it being released, I was like, oh my God, he's going to ruin this. And yeah, and and yeah, he was... I I don't know. He doesn't bother me. You know who bothers me? I got one for you. He did Behind Enemy Lines was a mediocre movie with Owen Wilson, went on to do the remake of Fly of the Phoenix bombed theatrically did the remake of the omen bomb theatrically did the adaptation of max Payne bomb theatrically so then what does hollywood do with john moore he had 
nothing but bombs. Let's give him the keys to one of the biggest Hollywood franchises, and he does a good day to die hard. And it it's considered the worst of all the Die Hard movies. It's terrible. Actually, it was considered one of the worst films of last year. Yeah, it was straight the, out. Yeah, it was straight out one of the worst films of last year. And yet, here's a guy who who did bomb after bomb after bomb, movies that were both critical and financial failures, and yet they give him the keys to a freaking billion dollar franchise. Like that just so, it just makes my has, head hurt. Somebody has photos of some high-ranking studio executive filleting a goat. It, it has to be. That's the only reason why John Moore continues to get work. Because you watch his movies, how you feel about uh, about Ratner, like you think his shots are bland and whatnot, they are not nearly as bland as John Moore's stuff. John Moore's stuff is terrible. It is so bland. It is so boring. I mean, you could you could take a play school camera and give it to my nephew, and he'd film a better movie. What about when you've got an actor, a director, or whatnot, that used to be good and then became talentless or or stopped trying maybe someone like Robert De Niro ever since about 1990 Robert De Niro plays Robert De Niro in every film to the point where he almost seems like he just doesn't care anymore I think Robert De Niro's just wanting to retire the the, the roles he's saying yes to now is he's like yeah I'll have a good time on the set Eh, it'll be fun. I don't know if it'll be a good movie, but I'll, I'll have a good time. You know, that I don't even think he cares about the paycheck. He's just working for the sake of work. And he's like, I think this will be fun. Those are nice people. So I'll work with them. It, it's really depressing because De Niro is an amazing actor when he wants to be. Yeah, and, you take a look at Once Upon a Time in America or 1900. I mean, Or anything he did with Scorsese. I actually think... He fell in love with the character he played in Goodfellas because he's basically played that character or a parody of that character in everything since. Uh, I don't know. I mean, look at look at Ronan. I mean, Ronan is a freaking awesome action movie. It's and, a train wreck, but OK. Oh, come on. Ronan is so good. And he's fantastic in it. He that was when there was a time there where uh, analyze this and the fan and it was like, oh god, he's kind of getting like he, he's doing crap. But then he did Ronan. I thought it was ter- I thought he was terrific in that. And on top of it being a good movie, but well, in my opinion, uh, but it, excellent crime action film. And yet he, as of lately, I'd say once he kind of did Meet the Parents, everything since then he's been a parody of his previous career. Just recently, he'd even done that before, but in a much wittier way, such as 15 minutes, 15 minutes was a parody of Robert De Niro, but done really, really smart. That was the uh, the one with the Ed Burns. Yeah. And and Captain Cisco and Cisco. Yeah. Yeah. 15 minutes is one of those movies that not oh God, barely anybody saw. It's a shame because it's a I'm it's such a, a hipster. Movie. I, I'm such a hipster. I saw 15 minutes in the theater. <laughs> I was probably the only one, but I did. And I was like, holy crap, this is a cool movie. How come nobody saw it? In the next example I'm going to give, it's not even that he was ever a good actor. But since we're talking about like the untalented, how about the people that just play the same role in every single film, like Seth Rogen? Name me one film or TV 
or TV show that Seth Rogen has been on that he's not playing Seth Rogen? Green Hornet? This is the end. No, he is Seth Rogen. <laughs> he's literally is, Seth Rogen. He's literally <laughs> Seth Rogen. <laughs> I know, I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, he plays the same character in everything. It's almost like, like we talked about how Adam Sandler is afraid to go outside of his comfort zone. That's what Seth Rogen seems like. His whole career is, I'm known for this. This is all I can do. Well, is it that? Is it that's what he's doing, or is that what the studio wants? Is it's like, okay, you are bankable as the pudgy stoner guy, so we're going to continue to put you in movies where you are pudgy stoner guy. Yet, isn't that something that any smart actor, and I will never call Seth Rogen a smart actor, would try to avoid? Isn't that typecasting? The kind of thing that most actors say destroys their career, not in, not enriches it. Well, these days things are a little bit differently. Like back in uh, ye olden times, uh, when you had the actors. Sixties are olden times. Oh, I'm just yeah. So technically, I mean, as back far as back in the film, days of Greek theater. Yes, back in the old times. But I'm saying, all right, I'll go back to uh, you know the fifties, sixties, where you had actors that were doing a ton of movies for relatively low money, and even the big budget. Well, the, I shouldn't say the big budget. The bigger known stars weren't pulling in nearly a fraction of what a Channing Tatum or somebody would be. So if you've got somebody like Seth Rogen, who has a good enough uh, agent, who can get him $10 million a picture, well, you don't really particularly care about being typecast. Because if you do three, four movies, you'll get $40 million and, all right, my career fizzled out. I still have $40 million in the bank. Whereas in the old days, you wanted to try to do as much variety as possible to not get typecast because you weren't making that much money and you were really struggling to get to a point of where you'd be paid enough where it, you wouldn't have to worry about it. And then you would become a, a I go De Niro back to or my, I go back to my argument. That's the difference then between an artist and a workman. Yeah. I mean, but that's the, the problem is that we have a lot of actors and actresses who are just paid help. You know, they're not. They're not really in it to be artists. They're in it because it's a job. Do you, do you think that this is going to change since it's been part of Hollywood all along that the, the, the talentless get showcased while the talented languish in hell? You know, it kind of comes down to the whole independent artist versus workman thing that I've been throwing out there tonight where it comes down to the artists – are the ones that are struggling to make a good movie because they don't care if it makes money, or, or at least that's not their paramount concern, whereas the workmen are just there to churn out more product. We're back to the David Dakota art versus commerce thing. It's always been this way and will always be this way. I mean, John Wayne was basically the Seth Rogen of his day. Name me a, the, the rare John Wayne movie where he's not playing John Wayne. Genghis Khan? <laughs> no he's still john wayne he's just painted i am in the camp of uh, steven spielberg with uh, i think that movies are headed in such a direction uh, much like the video game industry was back in the early days it's getting to a point where there's just such a glut that it's going to implode upon itself it, it can't sustain this constant you know growth of the budget has to be bigger. We have to pay our stars more. We have to put more gimmicks in our movies to make more money because blah, blah, blah. 
and it, it's just going to f- collapse upon itself and hopefully restart as something where they start to focus more on, all right, well, maybe instead of making uh, one $400 million movie and that if this bombs, then our studio is going to go under, maybe taking that mo- money and make... So I mean, you're still going to have your popcorn films, but maybe take some of that money and focus on smaller productions and make some good movies and make some good choices as far as actors. Because we're at a point now where there are a lot of good-looking, talented people out there. So you can have both. You can have a good-looking actor and a good-looking actress. You don't need to get these dingbats who are attractive but have zero skill and zero charisma. So hopefully... They get away from the notion that, you know, you have to have a giant budget and you have to have a name attached to the film. You know, I think that it's it's going to get to a point of where it's all going to fall under or, you know, it's it's just going to continue to be a disaster. And see, I I think what we need is we basically need a cinematic Vietnam to happen. We need another new Hollywood to be ushered in because new Hollywood showed showed the old system that we can make really good envelope-pushing movies that are also profitable. And then New Hollywood got co-opted, but I think we need another New Hollywood. And I'm not sure if the industry is set up for that, because they attempted that in the late 80s when the home video market really picked up, because they were trying, you know, the the whole indie direct-to-video market, except it didn't have the impact New Hollywood did. That's what I think needs to happen. That's my thought on it. So where can we find the Marquis de Suede? At geekjuicemedia.com. Where can we find Crow T. Uh, Cecil? You can find me at goodbadflix.com as well as geekjuicemedia.com. And I can be found at geekjuicemedia.com, 1201beyond.com, and you can contact the show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Have a good night, guys.
1201 Beyond production. Visit 1201beyond.com for more great shows.